live, baby. This is it. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I am joined this week by one of my oldest friends and fellow Laker fan, Mr. Jacob Meeks. What's up, man? Thanks for having me on. Bro, thanks for being on the show. This is a long time coming. We've been talking for a while about making this a reality, recording an episode together, and uh, it's finally here. You all, you are also the first guest that I've had on the show in a year. So I'm honored. I'm out of my. I'm honored. This is weird for me. I'm out of my element. We'll figure it out. We'll be all right. We'll hold hands. We'll we'll work it out. (laughs) We're going to do this thing together, man. Uh, And this is going to be a good episode, man. We are talking top five favorite movie endings of all time. And this, our lists were, I think, for both of us, impossible to make. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have both seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movies throughout the course of our life. Quite a few that have some really good endings. So to narrow a list down to our five favorite movie endings of all time is... It's impossible. It's impossible. So we're, we're definitely going to leave off some movies of our list that some people will surely listen to this and be like, come on, what about this movie? What about this movie? Look, we're only human, all right? Yes, and we only had, we only had five, not ten. Yeah. Ten we would have made a big difference, I think, if we had done ten and then had a few honorable mentions. But but this is more succinct, so it's it's yeah. good. But we'd we'd be here all night if we did that. Yeah. So uh, film is subjective. So I don't want to hear. I don't want anybody at me over this. These are our personal five favorite movie endings of all time. So what we'll do is we're just gonna get right into this, man. Uh, I will do our honorable mentions first. We'll just briefly touch on these, and then we'll get into our top fives. I'll do my honorable mentions first, and then you can jump into yours. So honorable mention number one for me is <laughs> Casablanca. I love it. This is one of the most emotional movie endings of all time. I think that it, number one, it it has so many quotable lines. Here's looking at you, kid. We'll always have Paris. It has that old timey grainy feel. Of course, it was made in the 40s and it's in black and white and everything about the way that it's shot and the way that it is edited. It feels old timey, but in the best possible way. And all of those things coming together just make Casablanca, for me, one of the best movie endings. What's the main character's name? I can't remember what the main character's name is. He is the ultimate is. bad butt. His, well, his name in real life is Bogart. Humphrey Bogart. Right. Okay, Humphrey Bogart. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the movie, I actually can't remember. He's but a, yeah. so good. He plays a bad dude. It's oh, awesome. He's so good. Yeah. yeah he's so good. Uh, number two for me, it's a beautiful scene. I mean, it's just an absolutely beautiful scene. Number two on my honorable mentions list is, and we'll discuss these more at length once we get into our top fives, yeah. but uh, we're just going to briefly hit these. Number two for me uh, on my honorable mentions list is The Prestige. Ooh, yeah. I am, as you know, yeah. massive Nolan fanboy. I love everything that Chris Nolan has made to date. I think he is, he, he's, he's an incredible filmmaker. And I love the prestige. He's a twin. He's a twin. The he's whole time. And let me say this too. I actually had it in my honorable mentions and I took it off because I knew, <laughs> I knew for a fact that you were either going to have it on your list or an honorable mention. You knew. Because you, it's just class. It's so good. Yeah. And this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Absolutely. It's one of those movies that the ending, like... It's it, it's a great film up until the ending. Even without that twist, the movie works. It works regardless. But the twist takes it to a level beyond perfect. Prestige is number two for me. Number three, we're going to another twist ending here. The Sixth Sense. This is iconic. This is so iconic. This is 
Well, yeah, when you talk about twist endings, everybody immediately thinks to either M. Night Shyamalan or The Sixth Sense. The guy has mastered it. And this was definite. I mean, this is still one of the biggest movie twists of all time. Bruce Willis, who is a psychiatrist in the film, turns out to be dead the whole time. And because the ghosts, as we learn early on, they only see what they want to see, he doesn't realize it until he is with his in the room with his wife at the very end of the movie. It's a great ending. It's so well-crafted. It's so well-earned. Like, typically, I think a lot of twist endings, dude, it's like, number one, it's, cliche, it's either cliche or it's just not earned. This absolutely earns the ending, the twist. I think it's so good. It's a great film. Great Classic film. Classic M. Night. Classic M. Night. I want that M. Night back. Is that the best M. Night Shyamalan film ever made? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it is too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. My last honorable mention, we'll get into yours. Last honorable mention for me, The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I had to put it on here, man. This yeah. is one of the best movie endings of all time. Because if you think about, imagine if you're sitting in that theater back in, what was it? 1979, 1980, when Empire came out. You're sitting in that theater. You don't know how six wraps everything up. You don't know how Jedi wraps everything up. And the way five ends, Han is probably dead. He's being shipped off to Jabba by Boba Fett, who is actually at that point still kind of a BA, right? He's, he's this awesome bounty hunter and he's probably dead. Vader is Luke's father, which is probably the greatest movie twist of all time. And the rebels are screwed because they, they're, they've been pushed to the brink of extinction by the Empire. And all of these things, and, and Luke loses his hand. And so all these things come together and it's like, what is going to happen? I wish we got Star Wars films that ended like this. And we got that a little bit with Seven. And this is part of the reason why I didn't like The Last Jedi as much. And I know we have very differing opinions on this. I didn't like The Last Jedi as much because I felt like it just ended way too nicely for a film that is in the middle of the trilogy. I wanted to see an ending that felt a little bit more cliffhangy, very much like The Force Awakens did. But The Empire Strikes Back is uh, my fourth honorable mention. I think it's an incredible ending. It's very gutsy, so well executed, so well done by uh, Irvin Kirshner. And uh, yeah, it comes in at my fourth honorable mention. We'll get into my top five right after Jacob's honorable mentions. Nice. That was a good list. Free solid, that, that, right? Yeah, that was super solid. See, you're, and just to forewarn, my list, my list is awful. I couldn't come up with good movies under pressure when I knew I was coming on. It's like, hard. It's, it's hard. hard. Yeah. Okay, we'll get into it. So, number nine, well, my first of my honorable mentions, Signs, M. Night. So good. I just love that movie. It's probably one of my favorite movies, and classic M. Night, again. But just how everything, every piece, Meryl swing away, the water around the room, just perfect, man. It's a, it's beautiful ending. Um, classic Mel Gibson as well. I, he, he's a great actor. And uh, I think it just fits so well. Um, M. Night's second best movie, you think? I'd probably put it at number two. Yeah, because, well, and I say this because it's, it, it goes back to my childhood because I saw that when I was young. Mm-hmm. So... It resonates with me really well. Right. It's just it's a great movie, dude. Love that movie. So my next honorable mention is the classic Planet of the Apes. Oh, it's so iconic. Heston, dude. dude. And, and it's absolutely iconic, and everybody knows, everybody knows that ending. And it's just, think about 
I mean, the movie, you, you see that these space pilots, basically, these astronauts, you know, it makes you believe, and if you haven't seen the movie, it makes you believe that they're on a whole other planet the entire time. Find out you're in the future. And as he's riding along that on that beach on his horse with his with his girl, and it's just the Statue of Liberty sticking up out of the sand. So good. Yeah. That's unbelievable. And I don't know. I can't remember when that came out. 57 or maybe later than that. 67? I think it was, think it was 68. 68? I want to say it was 68. Man, that's mind-blowing. It's a great twist. My next Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> I know that's how this okay. makes me sound. I want you to explain this to me. Because this, I have not seen the Pride and Prejudice Kira Knightley version in forever. But It's a great film. Is it really? It's a, it's a great film. And... Part of it is is all this conflict. The, the movie does a great job of taking all the conflict that's happened in the movie and making you believe you know that these two are going to get together. Darcy and Keira Knightley's character, I can't remember what her name is, Elizabeth probably, <laughs> it's British. But um, you know that it's going to happen, but you don't know how and you don't know when. And the right before the end scene, it really leads up to th- make you think, this might not happen the way I thought it was. And it's just so beautiful that when Mr. Darcy is walking across the field and it's early morning and she's out there and you just, that's that scene where she turns and looks and he's walking towards her and they have a, they have a really romantic dialogue and as they come together to kiss the sun, the rising sun is, is shining right between them. It's a great film, dude. It's great cinematography. It's wonderful. I'll take your word for it. I haven't seen it in so long. But you know what? Just hearing you describe that, you really vividly painted that pick for me, man. It's great. It's great. Right. Let's go. You know what? After this, after we get done recording, let's go down and watch it. <laughs> you and me, buddy. No, dude. I only watch that with my wife. <laughs> anyway, my last honorable mention has to be, and I was debating on whether or not to put in movies that are in a sequence or like a trilogy, but The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, for me, just classic movies and just the way that it all wraps up, the feeling you get seeing all the characters where they are after the great battles, after the wars, things like that. I just loved, I love the way that Jackson kind of wrapped all of that up. And I, I, I think it's one of the few movies that are in a trilogy that really does a really good job of sending characters off the right way. And you're not sitting there wondering, okay, what happens next? Where do they all go? Wanting more. You know how it all fits together. You understand what each character is doing after the story ends. And I just appreciate that because sometimes you don't you don't get that a lot of times. Yeah, that right. That ending in Return of the King is so emotional and it's so well done. And like you said, it it is one of those endings that you're you're satisfied. It's an extremely emotionally satisfying ending. And because I know for me, like a lot of times I leave movies and I'm like, I want to keep spending time with these characters because I feel like I need more. I feel like I need to know what happened after this or that. I get that all the time in movies. But with Return of the King, yes, I perfectly understand, okay, he's gonna be the king and Frodo's gone and Sam is gonna be doing this in the Shire. It is so well done. And I think too, one of the things that's, that is so neat about Return of the King and really the Lord of the Rings trilogy as a whole is that it's one of those trilogies that is taken from a book that even people who read the book before the movies came out, they saw the movies and were like, these are really good. They're great films, yeah. They're such great films. And imagine if Return of the King had been one of those movies where people watch, because you hear this all the time, 
the movie was really good up until the ending. Or I, I really liked the film up until the ending. If that ending wasn't as perfect as it was, I think Lord of the Rings immediately goes from being a, an amazing trilogy to, that's uh, pretty good. But something that doesn't necessarily, it still changes culture and, and cinema as we know it today. But mm-hmm. it just doesn't have the same effect. Well, it would leave a sour taste in your mouth if, especially if you, imagine if you had bought the extended editions and you spent, I mean, each each one of those, and The Return of the King is almost like four hours long. Imagine if you spent that time watching. <laughs> That's a haul, man. <laughs> it's a haul. <laughs> watching those three movies and then you get to the end and it's not satisfying. Man, that would really mess you up because you just spent almost 12 hours of your life watching movies and and you want that you want that send off and so i thought peter jackson nailed it yeah is that is that your favorite lord of the rings movie i think two towers is my favorite really that blows my mind dude i watched it the other night um at my in-laws and um yeah it's just so i just love that part of the story Hmm. and i and theoden the king of Rohan has so many quotable lines. Oh, it's yeah. hilarious. It's awesome. Yeah. Everything he says is just quotable. It's great. Everything at Helm's Deep is... Helm's Deep is a great fight sequence. I don't know that any battle sequence today has ever topped the Battle of Helm's Deep. It's... it's, it's mm-hmm. Every time you watch it, and I've seen The Lord of the Rings, countless number. I can't tell you how many times I've seen them, those movies. It's still interesting. It still catches your eye. Mm-hmm. You still appreciate little things about it. It's awesome. I Yeah, I think I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I think maybe the only other action sequence as epic as Helm's Deep is Omaha Beach scene in Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think, off the top of my head, I can't think of any other action sequence in all of cinematic history that touches what is done in Helm's Deep. And of course, like the battle sequences in Fellowship of the Ring and in... Return, Return of the King, mm-hmm. super well done, but yeah, nothing, nothing near the quality of of Two Towers. That's so interesting. People who like Two Towers the best, because Edie's the same, right? I think. I think she said the same thing the other night, and I was baffled by that because I feel like most people, it either comes down to whether whether or not you like the setup in Fellowship or the payoff in Return. I prefer the payoff in Return, mm. but I think most people, or no, a lot of people, lean towards the setup in in Fellowship. But you, man, breaking the mold, baby. It's great. <laughs> That's what I do. All right, man. Hey, let's go ahead and get into our top five favorite movie endings of all time. And like I said, we're going to spend a little more time on these because these, again, these are our personal favorites. And I know I should have prefaced this entire episode with uh, spoilers, but right. all of these movies, maybe with like a couple of exceptions, I'm pretty sure have been out for years and years, if not decades. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't seen it by now, then you you clearly had no intention of seeing it. So spoilers for uh, yes. these uh, next movies that we're going to list. So we'll just alternate back and forth. I'll kick us off with my five and, and then we'll just go back and forth. All right. My number five favorite movie ending of all time. And you know that I'm a big fan of horror. I think the horror genre is extremely underrated. I think mm-hmm. that one, and I, I talked about this on one of my podcast episodes a couple months back. I think that one of the common criticisms of the horror genre is that or one of the misconceptions, rather, of the horror genre is that it's just mindless gore, it's mindless violence, it's mindless this and that, and it's not clever, it isn't smart, and I just want to push back and say that's so not true. And one of the films that proves that is The Shining. 
and the ending of The Shining. Mm. I think that the ending of The Shining, it, I love how ambiguous it is. Because you can, I mean, you can look at the ending of The Shining when it's, you know, it's kind of panning through the halls and then you land on that photo of Nicholson and he's at a party from, I don't remember how many years before the events of that took place, of the movie took place. But it's, it's plenty of years in the past and he's there at a party and you're sitting there watching as the viewer and you're like, what is going on? There are literally dozens of ways that you can interpret the end of this film. And I don't know what your take on the ending is. I don't really even know what my take on the ending is. The way I've always understood it is that it's trying to say that evil will always be in some form or another reincarnated at the Overlook Hotel. And Nicholson was just one of the members. He was just one one in a long line of people. Um... Before him, it was Mr. Grady who killed his daughters, um, so on and so forth. He's just another person in a long line of individuals who were possessed by the evil that is at the Overlook Hotel. Yeah, and I agree. I think it's left ambiguous so that the viewer can really make guesses in their mind about what that means. But I agree with you in that. I think it's trying to tell a message of that evil exists, it has existed, and always will exist. And I think that they they use that that picture, as you're saying, kind of like a just a hey audience, you know, this is something that's happened before, and at this hotel specifically, will happen again, most likely. I don't know how familiar you are with so much of the research that has gone into deciphering what exactly Stanley Kubrick meant, because of course he passed away, and people have tried to get a hold of like the script that the actors would have had on set, but the script was constantly changing from day to day. Kubrick was like, I mean, he was borderline obsessive with his films, but because the script was changing from day to day, a lot of people don't even know if Kubrick himself even knew exactly how he wanted this movie to end. He might not have. He might not have. Mm -hmm. And that's not uncommon. That has happened before that happened in Casablanca. They didn't know which ending they were going to choose. They didn't know if he was going to get on the plane with her or if he was going to let her get on the plane and then stay uh, where he was. So it's very possible that that's what was happening. There's a, a, a scene from the making of The Shining where Jack Nicholson is talking with Stanley Kubrick and a few of the other people who were working on set. And he's talking about how I don't even bother looking at my script anymore because we're constantly changing lines from day to day. So I think that this movie was actually kind of a mess during production, but it worked out for the best because I think this is not only one of the greatest horror movies ever made, it has, in my opinion, maybe the most powerful ending to any horror movie because again, it has been analyzed and analyzed and so many people in film schools are trying to figure out exactly what this means. And of course, I think we can kind of land on that general idea that we've already Mm -hmm. talked about. Sure. But... Still, you can interpret this movie so many different ways, and uh, it's just it, it's fascinating. I think it's uh, I think it's so well done. And you're talking about a movie too that really stands the test of time. I mean, you can go back now and watch it, and even I, I I'll t- go out on a limb and say that perhaps our kids will watch that movie and be freaked out, kind of like how I was freaked out when I saw the original. It it might seem silly. I mean, and I know you might disagree with this, but I think that movie kind of holds up a little bit with just some of its themes and some of its animations, but which actually it's more like just like uh, the clay or whatever that they use. Um, but I think it holds up extremely well. 
You don't think that holds up just because of nostalgia? You think it's genuinely maybe. solid? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I think The Shining... Here's, here's what I love about The Shining is that it's not the scariest horror movie ever made, but it is the most frightening. Like, it is the most creepy. It's the one that really sticks with you. Like, I can watch any, you know, blockbuster popcorn horror movie that, especially that comes out today, and sure, be scared by some of the jump scares and the loud noises throughout the film, but The Shining is always among maybe a a handful of other horror films that haunts me, (laughs) you know, that sticks with me after I've watched it. And part of that is because it does end so... um, horrifically it does end sure Danny and his wife get away and they're fine but it is not a happy ending by any stretch because he's dead um or is he I need to go back and watch that movie yeah it's It's been years and the last time I saw it was on TV so I need to go back and watch the that movie that's a good one man hit me with your five okay so starting off um this is just a personal favorite of mine it's a cult classic uh, Jake G, who's one of my favorite <laughs> actors, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, he's my he's my favorite actor. I think he's the most versatile actor in Hollywood today. He's so good. Yeah, he's great. Um, is Dar- Donnie Darko? Donnie, baby. <laughs> Donnie Darko, and I had a weird obsession with this movie. I remember in high school, or maybe it was before that. <laughs> I can't remember. You might remember better than me. What was up with that, man? You were weirdly obsessed with this film. I loved the movie, and it was one of the. I think it was one of the first movies that, and I can't remember when I when I watched this movie first. Freshman year, mm. sophomore year of high school. A little young to be watching Donnie D. Maybe. I mean, there there's not that much stuff. That's in it. true. Yeah, that's true. But for some reason, it was. It felt to me like a story that ne- necessarily I could relate to, but I understood completely. And and I still look at Donnie Darko as a superhero movie, and of course spoilers. But and I have other comic book movies on my list, which give it <laughs> do with that what you will. But I think Donnie Darko, if you look at it from the sense as a superhero movie, then you understand you understand Donnie Darko's character. You understand the ending a lot better. You understand the sacrifice because I don't know when the last time you saw it, but but. Donnie goes through, he time travels, and he decides to make the ultimate sacrifice. He saw through the Tangent Universe, super complicated, <laughs> but what the future was going to hold, and he decided that he was going to stay in his house the night that a plane engine falls through the sky and crushes his where he would have been in his bed. He decides to stay there, and you have this beautiful sequence of him laughing in his room because he realizes he had the he just time he just traveled through time and he's laughing almost hysterically but you, you get the sense that like he's happy you know it's not like a crazy he's happy about what he's done then you have that iconic sequence of mad world the rendition by i can't remember who andrew somebody but it's originally tears for fears song mad world plays and it's a beautiful piano medley and all the other characters are you see what's going on with them and Mad World's playing over it. And you see that the plane engine has crashed through his room and his family's crying and upset. And the love interest of the film, Gretchen Ross, rides up on her bike and says, what happened? Who died? Because she doesn't know. And Donnie, you see, really sacrificed all that time he had with his girlfriend. And he was an awkward dude, so he didn't really have a lot of those. He sacrificed all that time with her 
and any possibility of him having a life in the future in order to go back and save things the way they were. Basically save the world because Frank the Bunny tells him that it's going to be the apocalypse basically if he doesn't. So he makes the ultimate sacrifice. And I think why I was obsessed with it when I was younger is, like I said, I really understood that. I understood that, and I was a young adult as well, it would be hard for me to sacrifice all these things that I had just accomplished in order to do something bigger than myself. And so I think that's one of the first movies why I love it so much that I really, I understood better than most. And that's that's number five for me. All right, moving on. <laughs> okay, no. So I have not seen Donnie Darko in like, uh, I think I saw it as a sophomore. So it's been like six years since I saw that movie. I remember very little about it. Of course, I remember the bunny. And I remember... Frank. Frank, yes. I remember Frank. And... <laughs> Think I I think I went into that movie just expecting something completely different because I had yes. heard it so hyped up and I thought it was gonna be kind of like a horror movie, and yeah I got something completely different. I remember him sacrifice. I remember him at the end he sacrifices himself, mm-hmm. and I remember getting that, but I definitely didn't at all go as in depth with some of the other things. I don't know. I might not have been paying super close attention. Well, you probably also didn't watch it. 10 times over, 20 times over. I watched it the one time. Right. I saw, I've seen it to this day one time. I want to go yeah. back and rewatch it because I want to see what you see today. It's great. It's so great. you still love it's, it. it, it it's probably Jake, it, Jake Gyllenhaal's defining moment, I think, as an actor. And he has other awesome films, but I think that for him is what took him from being just a regular kid actor and made him into the diverse actor that he is today. I, I honestly believe that. How old was he when he made this movie? It came out in what, 01? 02? I think so. He was probably 17. He's a kid. He's probably 17 or 18. Wow. Yeah. And Drew Barrymore is in that movie, and she's unrecognizable. Yeah. She's so young. Yeah, and so is uh, Seth Rogen. Uh, yeah, he plays the bully. <laughs> he plays that bully. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember what he says, but he says some really funny lines. He has hilarious. some cringy quote to a girl, and oh right, yeah. I think uh, yeah, I think <laughs> well, that's good, man. Yeah. I I want to watch Johnny D with you because yeah. again, I haven't seen it in so long, and I want you to point out to me what it is that you love so much about it. So we'll okay. we'll, we'll make that. Happen. And I think moving on, the rest of the stuff on our list will. B movies that we've probably seen a ton of times. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I've got uh, number four. This is one of the most iconic horror films ever made. Another horror film on my list. Interesting. Again, I love horror. I think this is this is my last horror movie on this list. I have another really dark movie at three. But number four on my list is Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. <laughs> before we had the M. Night Shyamalans and before we had the Christopher Nolans, these guys who tap into, and Chris Nolan, not as much as M. Night, of course, but Chris Nolan definitely does have plenty of twists in his films and certainly at the end of his movies. Before we had this, Alfred Hitchcock took a concept that was so simple and completely turned it on its head. Alfred Hitchcock made, I mean, he did what no other filmmaker had done. Like, I think we talked in one of these I can't remember which one. The Sixth Sense, M. Night taking uh, a twist and, and making it so popular. Well, decades before that, Alfred Hitchcock was the one who did it first. He was the OG. He was the OG, man. You've got Alfred Alfred Hitchcock. He tells this really compelling story. 
And you think that the protagonist is going to be the young woman through the first, what, third of the movie, if that, first fourth of the movie? Mm-hmm. And then she gets killed off in the infamous shower scene. And from there, you realize, oh, this movie's about Norman Bates. Mm-hmm. I think the the ending to this film is so haunting. It is so genuinely creepy. You've got this guy, and the whole time throughout the movie, you think... It's Norman and his mom, and they're living in the house overlooking the Bates Motel, and, you know, they're just killing people, and they're evil, and they live in this, you know, strange harmony together, and then come to find out, Norman actually killed his mama, and out of, I think it's out of guilt, he keeps her, he pretends she's alive by by being her, by becoming her, and I love, I love that last shot where he's sitting in the what, in the courthouse. Yeah, and there's a white wall. I mean, it's black and white, obviously, but right. the, the, I think there's a white wall behind him. And he's just looking at the camera, yeah. and you hear the mom's voice just the playing voice in his over. head. Uh-huh. And he smiles, that <sighs> evil smile. It's haunting. And when you, if you pay close attention, you've probably seen this, if you pay, if you pay close attention, right as the scene is cutting, it, it does this weird fade so that his face looks like a skeleton. It looks straight up like a skeleton as it fades. I can't remember what the scene right after that is. But it, it is seriously one of the best movie endings of all time, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And I love it. And I, yeah, I, I think Alfred Hitchcock, master of suspense. This is, I mean, this is his most iconic movie. Of course, he's very popular for Vertigo and Birds and on and on that list goes. Oh, but gee, I, man. I think this movie is so good. It holds up so well. The twist is still a great twist. And it inspired a multitude of filmmakers after him. Nice. Okay, so number four on my list is a movie that we both know and love very much, The Dark Knight. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. I think The Dark Knight, this ending scene where you see this is right after Two-Face has fallen um, from the building, you get a definitive reason and understanding of who Batman is as a character. And Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gold. Gordon is just he's perfect and the whole that whole scene when they're up in that construction zone and Two-Face has his family Gary Oldman kills it you know what I'm saying but we get we get a look at what Batman what his purpose is what he actually is and to me those lines right there are what really make um, that Batman and Christian Bale's Batman just so perfect to me I think he does an amazing job and no not a shot at Ben Affleck Who's done, I thought, a pretty good job. Um, we might disagree on that a little <laughs> bit. But I love, I love those lines there at the end where Christian Bale's Batman just basically says, I can be whatever Gotham needs me to be. Mm-hmm. And that, right, that is something that's really cool, first of all. <laughs> but second of all, that right there is exactly what Batman is. Batman isn't supposed to be just your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, the good guy all 24-7. He can be what he needs to be in the situation. And that scene where the police are chasing after him, you know, you got the German shepherds running, and he gets on a bat cycle. That and, Hans Zimmer score is oh, blaring. man, that music is just perfect. And he just rides up into that light up on the tunnel. And that's how it, that's how it closes. And you just can't... Ha- and after just great performances throughout the movie, Heath Ledger with one of the most iconic villains, villains of all time, you get that as the ending. That just feels right. They could have cut it right there. That could have been the end. Then that's what I like about it. 
it wasn't necessarily leading up to the Dark Knight Rises. That could have been the end, because to me, that's the Batman that people understand. That's the Batman that, at least I understand as a comic book fan and a Batman fan, that seems to me like the kind of character that I expect. And so he could have cut the movie off right there. And I, I love that about how you have a film and a trilogy that doesn't necessarily just have to lead up to the next thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's number four on my list. Yeah, Dark. Yeah, it's definitely a movie that stands on its own. You don't need to see Rises and you certainly don't need to see Begins. You can just watch The Dark Knight and understand. I mean, sure, you might be a little lost on some of the stuff with Rachel, but the, even that, it's pretty easy to pick up on. Um, <laughs> Rachel! Rachel! <laughs> um, and that's, yeah, and it speaks so highly to the character of this Batman that even after he doesn't get what he wants, he doesn't get Rachel. Rachel dies in The Dark Knight. Another mm-hmm. ballsy move that Nolan pulled in his trilogy. He still says, okay, I, I'm going to be whatever they need me to be. And in this case, they need me to be the bad guy. They need me to be the guy who's responsible for killing Dent. And that comes back to haunt him even in Rises. What is it? Eight years after the fact or like six years after the events mm-hmm. of The Dark Knight. So it speaks so highly to this Batman and who he is. And then after that, he just goes into hiding. And he's like, all right, I'm done being what got... I'm done being the caped crusader the crime fighter the guy who protects the city they don't need that anymore dent has locked so many of these guys away mm-hmm. and now the joker is going to be behind bars and it yeah it's a it's a perfect ending you get that beautiful narration from uh gary oldman, from gary oldman yes. as he rides off it's so good man. A watchful protector watchful protector you know it's just stuff like that it's just great man is it uh what is it? Uh, the silent, silent guardian, watchful mm-hmm. protector, the Dark Knight. Yeah, and then it cuts. It cuts. That's that is it's awesome. That is as good of an ending as you'll ever see in a superhero film. Easily. Yeah, easily. That was going to be one of my honorable mentions, but I didn't want to have too many Nolan movies on my. <laughs> All Nolan. He's a great director. Yeah, he's awesome. He is. He's awesome. I think so. He, de- he deserve. He absolutely deserves uh, the credit and the and the accolades for making great films. Who's your favorite director? Right, I, I, dude. I don't know. That's a question you should ask someone that watches a ton of movies. I mean, what's your who's your favorite director? I'd say either Nolan or Denis Villeneuve. Right. Yeah. Well, and I'm working probably, today, maybe maybe Scorsese. I don't know. I love Scorsese. Well, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, the movies that I've seen most recently have been a, a Nolan film and Dunkirk that I've actually gone to the theater and seen. Mm-hmm. So and so, yeah. I guess I'd say right now Nolan. Right. I mean, he just puts out a great movie almost every single time. All right, my number three favorite movie ending of all time uh is seven. Oh yeah of yeah, course and you know i almost had this i had this almost in a, as an honorable mention dude this is classic i just have one question bro what, what was, was in, in the, the box, box? <laughs> what was in the box okay a lot of people think that in that scene that pit is trash brad pitt's trash i think he's incredible in that scene I've been reading a lot of comments on YouTube because there's I've this... I've never heard that before. I Okay, so well, let, my basis for this is off of YouTube comments. So let trolls. Me, uh-huh. Trolls, surely. Yeah. Let, me, let me be fair. But, it's, but it's, a com- it's comments and then they'll have like a lot of likes. So clearly people think that he's overplaying this moment. But I think it's a completely genuine moment. Like he, he knows that his wife is dead. He's lost his wife after obsessing and pursuing this John Doe villain who I think mm-hmm. is... I think in this movie he solidifies himself, Kevin Spacey, uh, who who I don't I don't even want to mention on this podcast. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> he 
Kevin Spacey as John Doe solidifies himself as one of the best movie villains of all time. And and so yeah. much of that is, is, I mean, just the writing on the part of Fincher. And I don't know who did the screenplay. I don't think it was Fincher. I know he directed it. But it, it's so flawless. It's so airtight. And it's perfect. I mean, Brad Pitt, he becomes Envy. And then he John Doe punishes him. And punishes him by having Brett by killing his wife and then out of that he becomes rage mm-hmm. and kills John Doe in yep. cold blood and so now his life is over because you, you can't kill in cold blood uh, as a detective and his no that's against the rules that's against it's <laughs> against the rules and it's so well done man and it's an it's an ending that you genuinely don't expect I had the luxury of not knowing the ending to this movie um, which I feel like as time has gone on a lot of people are you're just gonna lose that but it, it, I, I remember just my mind being blown, man. I did not think his wife was going to get killed. There's so many things in this movie that work on every level for me. And it's, again, it's a film that without the ending being as good as it is, it's still a great film and it's so rewatchable. And it's a movie that I will revisit for the rest of my life. It's a great thriller. Phenomenal thriller. It's so, so good. All of the stuff leading up to... John Doe revealing himself and then being taken into prison and being taken into custody. Mm-hmm. All of that is so captivating. And like I said, I think that the ending just takes it above and beyond greatness. And it is. It's one of my favorite movie endings of all time. It's hard to believe that movie was made in 95. But hey, all great things come in 95, baby. <laughs> hey, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, that is that is correct. Was it 95? 95, yeah. Because I, like I said, I was doing a little bit of research. I thought about putting it on my honorable mentions. And I saw that it was made in 95. Yeah. It's hard to believe. Yeah, that's a movie that, again, you, you want to talk about a film that will stand the test of time. Everything in that, mold, in that movie holds up perfectly fine. And... Another thing I like about it too, this is random, this doesn't have anything to do with the ending. I like how they never tell you what city they're in. You never know where they're at. Right. They always refer to it as like the city or this place. They never actually say where they're at. And I've always wondered why that is, but I kind of like it. It's really weird. I like it when a director leaves the creation of the world or the universe that you're in up to you. I, I, because if sometimes when you're saying New York City, like the viewer automatically has an idea of what New York City is like. Negative or positive. So I think for me, I love it when directors leave the environment, the world, kind of up into interpretation in a sense. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I mean, I, I like that about that movie as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things, man, about that movie that work. I mean, all of the kills, all of the... It's Classic. So, it's, one of my, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And yeah, definitely one of my favorite endings. Good stuff. Okay. So moving on to... This is my number three, This correct? is your three, yes. This is my number three. This is a movie that just came out recently, and because, as I said before, my list is terrible, and I couldn't think of any good movies because I was kind of on the spot for this list, would be another comic book movie, Logan. All right, okay. I recently watched Logan again for the, se- or the third time, and man, it's just an insanely good movie. You can't even really call it a comic book movie because it tells such a... An effective and compa- and just compelling story about, even if you had no idea about Wolverine, any of the past movies, the X-Men movies, what have you, not a comic book fan, whatever, it still tells an amazing story about a person that has to deal with real life things, a larger than life character dealing with real life things. And just the ending there, we'll sk- I could say a ton of stuff about that movie, but skipping down to the ending, 
you can see his character go from just kind of a grumpy look out for himself old times are over you know he's he's tired and he's sad from the past i mean he's had to deal with a lot of deaths of a lot of his friends you see this character come full circle in this movie through seeing his daughter and seeing the future of the x-men understanding that that spirit has to live on he understands at the end of the movie that this same thing has to go on and it's going to have to go on without him and when x24 comes out and starts whooping his tail you can see that you know he understands this probably is the end and when he put, gets put up on that <laughs> that branch which is just brutal so brutal just so brutal and just gory it's just it's awesome though because that's a Wolverine movie that a lot of people have been wanting, wanting for a long time. <laughs> because it makes sense. Um, but then he has that that just easy dialogue with the uh, with the girl character who does an incredible job playing that character, and Hugh Jackman, one of my top five favorite actors. Just really, man, he just hits home with that movie in those last lines. It was just it was it was a cherry on top when you know they bury him or whatever, and then she takes that. It's kind of cheesy, but you know what? If you if you really got into the story, you've, you've it's kind of a shout out to you know some it's fan service in a way, but it's still beautiful when she takes that cross and makes it an oh, X. I think it's perfect. It's awesome, and it and it's you know it zooms in on that, and that's all we need to know. We understand that the timeline's going to continue. We understand that there are more mutants, and things are going to kind of be how they were before and everything's going to work out because the mutants have to take care of each other Mm -hmm. just kind of how logan taught his daughter basically throughout the movie even though he was kind of resisting it's just an incredible film and a wonderful wonderful way to send out the character of wolverine it is yeah it's the i've been saying it's the perfect deconstruction to that character you cannot you couldn't have asked for a better send-off to him and i and i like i don't think it's cheesy at all i like that they turned the cross into the X because Wolverine makes comments throughout. I know he does throughout the original X-Men trilogy. And I think he even makes comments in Logan about like there not being a God or religion not being any good. And so like he never believed in religion. He never believed in God to accomplish things, but like Mm. he always believed in the X-Men. Yeah. He always believed that like that was going to be like what got the job done and what saved the day in the end, what pulled through in the end. And so I think it, I think it's a perfect ending for that reason and i and i love to it dude it's it's poetic that he gets that he dies at his own hands essentially Mm -hmm. by the younger angrier version of himself that's essentially what he was x24 is what he was when he was young and when he was capable of and that's what i love too is like even though you don't really see wolverine in his prime i mean you kind of do there for a second towards the end in the forest um, it's so fast though. Like it, I've been rewatching that. It's only like two minutes mm-hmm. after he injects himself that he's like full berserk, on. full mm-hmm. on Wolverine. But so it still is cool though throughout the movie to see like this is this is what Wolverine was throughout the X Men trilogy. This is what he was throughout some of the other X Men films. And it's and going back to what you said, Rachel had Rachel hasn't seen any of the X Men movies. My wife mm-hmm. Rachel has not seen any of the X Men movies, and she went and saw Logan and loved it. It's a movie you don't have to be up to date with what's going on with all the other X Men movies because it almost kind of takes place in like its own alternate universe. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's it could very easily be understood, especially after the events of Days, Days of Future, Future Past. Past. It could easily be understood as taking place in some completely different universe. 
um, which that that's a whole other mess. The X Men timeline mm-hmm. that yep. needs, that we need to talk about at some point. But if we can figure that out, if we can figure <laughs> it out, uh, because because okay, real quick, because Charles says something about when I found he says like when I found you, you were a cage fighter. So we know that that happened, mm-hmm. but some of the other stuff might not have happened. Might not have happened, right? So some of it did, but some of that's it didn't. my understanding. I guess I guess it kind of saves them. They don't have to be as yeah. I mean, it doesn't they don't have to necessarily make. It doesn't have to match up. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, have yeah. to be continuity. But and from that movie, and I just want to say this real quick is one of my favorite scenes. And Patrick Stewart just absolutely does an amazing job in that scene where X twenty four comes up to this room and he's having that monologue right before he gets killed. You know, he's and he's crying, but he's like happy. He's like, "This is one of the best nights I've had in a long time." One of the most beautiful moments we've seen in film. In the past couple of years, I think at least, and I haven't seen a whole ton of movies like you have, sure. But to me, just the average moviegoer, just go see movies that I'm kind of interested in. That was that's just beautiful stuff, awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's also Patrick Stewart's best performance, not just as Professor X, maybe his best performance ever. Believable. Um, I don't want to say compelling again, but compelling um, and just hits home with some of the themes that definitely wanted to be portrayed in the movie. The chemistry between Hugh and Patrick. It's a father-son relationship without being a father-son relationship, without that just being a part of their character. And that's another great thing about Logan. And we're going to talk about Logan all night, probably. <laughs> I, dude, I will talk about this movie it's all amazing. right now. <laughs> but that's another part of that character development that makes the movie so good and so believable and so so easy to watch so so wonderfully put together basically mm-hmm. yeah it is that dynamic between those two actors they just take themes that people really deal with alzheimer's things that you know brain issues that people deal with in their in their lives and and take and put it in a comic book movie quote mm-hmm. unquote comic right. book movie Right. Awesome. Well, yeah, and it and it also is a is a film that deals so heavily with consequence and the fact that like what you do now makes a difference later. And I mean, if you think about it, if if Wolverine had not lived as bitter of a life as he did, if he weren't so marked by violence and anger and hatred, like his life might look entirely different. And I know what happened with all the other mutants was kind of out of their control, right? We know that they died because of one of Professor X's episodes mm-hmm. that he has in this movie. But still, their lives might look entirely different if they hadn't done some of the things they had done, Wolverine in particular, um, earlier on in their lives when they were young. And so, it, yeah, it hits on that as well. And that like, hey, what you do now, it might not seem like it really matters, but but it's going, it's to. going to. It's going to impact what you are like later on. And it is, it's heavy and it's so, it's such a different film and yeah, we could talk about this all night, but it's so different than anything we've ever seen from the MCU. I'll tell you what, these last couple movies that Fox has pumped out in, as least in far, as far as Deadpool and Logan go, completely different from the MCU mold. And it's such a breath of fresh air because the DC movies aren't really all that great. And so MCU, while I think that their movies are really good, they have no substance whatsoever. It's, I've said this before, it's a junk food of cinema. And so it's so refreshing to see a film like this come out in, two, in 2017 at the time. It's so refreshing to see a film like this come out and do well and be so highly praised and even be getting Oscar buzz. Mm-hmm. There's Oscar buzz around 
around Hugh Jackman as best actor. There's Oscar buzz around Patrick Stewart as best supporting. I want to see this film get nominated for best picture. It's my favorite yeah. movie of 2017. Yeah. I think it's, I think this is number two best comic book movie of all time behind, behind the dark, dark Knight. Knight. Yeah. I think, I think easily. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a hundred percent agreement. So I don't know. It, it's, it's super good. We'll see what happens uh, come Oscar season. Was that your three? Or was that your two? That was my three. That was your three. Okay. So you're on your two. I'll go two. Yeah, I'll okay. go two. All right. My number two, this might be a surprise for you, man. Um, so this is it the Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about Star Wars movies that wrap up way too nicely. <laughs> it literally ends perfectly like a new hope. But it's different because A New Hope didn't know if it was going to be telling more stories. Uh-huh. Phantom Menace did. <laughs> it still was like, we'll make this the most perf- picture-perfect ending you've ever seen. Oh, my. Oh, my gosh. What a joke. All right. Sorry. My, <laughs> I said I thought that in it. My number two favorite ending of all time is Whiplash. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Hey, yeah. hey, bro, I'll drink to that. <laughs> Whiplash, bro. It's great. It is such a, again, I, and I said this earlier, this is such an earned ending. Like, you have this kid, and, and here's what I'll say about the ending to Whiplash. I think it's actually a lot more sinister than most people think. Like, I feel like a lot from comment again, comments I've read on YouTube and I've only talked to maybe one or two people who have actually seen this film about the ending. But a lot of people seem to think that it's a happy ending. That, oh, you know, he gets J.K. Simmons' character back and he He succeeds. He succeeds. Mm -hmm. He nails this drum solo. But you have to think about the conversation that takes place over dinner earlier on in the film when he's talking to his family. And they're talking about, I can't remember the name of the character or the name of the drummer of the drummer. Yeah, I can't either. But they're referencing this drummer from the past who, I mean, he was like the, one of the greatest musicians of all time. And apparently at like 32 years old, he got drunk and high and then committed, and then committed suicide in an alley. Hmm. And Miles Teller, his character says something that is what I think foreshadow for um, it's foreshadow for his character later on in his life. He says something along the lines of, "I'd rather be the best musician. I'd rather be the best at what I do, and die at 30 years old in an alley, alone and miserable, than I would live a full life and not be what I could have been, or or be the best at mm. at this." He says something along those lines, and I think it's foreshadowed because this ending. It, and another thing that's really cool to note about about this film as well is that as it progresses, it, at the very first shot of the movie, it shows him, uh, and he's in like the he's in the academy, yeah, and he's he's playing, and he's got a white t shirt on, and you'll notice as the movie progresses, his clothes get darker, and eventually at the very end of the movie, he's wearing all black, mm-hmm. like the instructor J.K. Simmons character is, yeah. And so I think that the movie it actually ends a lot more sinister because he has at that moment become so obsessed with his craft he's become so obsessed with with his art that it is going to as it did this guy before who he wanted to be like it's going to destroy his life Hmm. and and so i all that aside though i think it's just an awesome ending the way that the drumming scenes are filmed it's so intense i think some of that stuff a lot of scenes in this movie i think are more intense than even a lot of thriller and horror films today my tempo my tempo. <laughs> that scene is, yes, it's got to be one of the most intense it, scenes in, in cinema. Probably. 
keep playing, keep yeah. playing, keep playing. And he's yeah. like throwing stuff around yeah. him. Oh my gosh. This gave me a completely new appreciation for drummers. Yeah. And what they go through. Classic drummers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh Classical my goodness, drummers. man. It, it's it's a great ending. It's a film that immediately after I got done watching it, I was like, this is one of the best films of the 21st century. I mean, this is an incredible... It has incredible performances, performances from Miles Teller, from J.K. Simmons. All the supporting characters are great. The he's a young kid, and so like you want to see his love interest with this girl yeah. succeed, and like he even gives up on that because of his obsession. I think that's just more evidence that he's going to completely destroy his life over this obsession with his craft. And but still, it, it's so powerful. He gives this amazing performance, and I love the facial reactions from Jake. I can't remember his name. It's horrible. Uh, I just watched it like a month ago. Uh, the facial reactions from J.K. Simmons' character while he's in the middle of the drum solo. I mean, he's like putting his hand over his mouth and like nodding his head and he's, you know, conducting and it, uh-huh. oh, it's so intense, dude. Yeah. And it is. I think it's, I think it's one of the best movie endings of all time. Great film. Yeah. So my number two, moving on to my number two, is Fight Club. <laughs> all right, here we go. When's here. the last time you watched this movie? <sighs> it, it's been, oh, it's been a while. It's been several years. One of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Ed Norton at his absolute best. Brad Pitt, obviously, he comes through clutch basically every single time. Um, but you you look at this movie as a whole. This is just a cluster. This is just a mess. And you're trying to you're trying to figure this movie out from start to finish. And it just wraps up. It has a twist. Tyler Durden is actually the narrator. The narrator is actually Tyler Durden. And this crazy girlfriend, Marla, who he, he, you can't tell, does he actually love her? Does he, like, are they just kind of like a fling or whatever? But that scene when they're up in the parking garage and he has just fought Tyler Durden and they, he is bloody, he is messed up. And he realizes while he's up there that he is projecting Tyler Durden. He is Tyler Durden. And th- first of all, a twist is just mind-boggling when it when it shows that to you but then he takes it the next step and he puts a gun in his mouth and he shoots himself mm-hmm. and you're like what mm-hmm. okay that's the end of the movie right but he's alive after that somehow and but it's symbolic in a way because he has killed off that part of him and he's He's standing there and he's telling Marla, she's like, you just shot yourself in the face. And he's like, no, it's fine. It's going to be okay. And they have this little bit of dialogue. And then all the bank buildings that they had placed bombs in start exploding. Mm -hmm. And they grab hands and it's just this wide shot of them holding hands and watching this chaos that come to a a culmination, basically, just all come in at once. Just it's a... It's a summary of basically the whole movie. And the pixies start playing, you know, where is my mind? You remember that song? Yeah. <laughs> and they're holding hands and watching this just absolute destruction. And it's awesome, man. It's a great way to end that film because the whole time you're trying to figure that out. Yeah. You're trying to understand what all this chaos is leading to. And it's this moment. And, and it just has beautiful imagery throughout the whole movie. But that scene, that last scene those big glass windows and everything's coming down and they're holding hands. Soundtrack in that movie is awesome as well. Kind of like the movie Drive as we talked about uh, earlier, but... A real human being. Yeah. Great stuff, <laughs> man. I love that. Real he- 
All right, sorry. No, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. So I so I've watched I've seen Fight Club once, which I feel like is crazy. I know I should see that movie way more than that. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't we watch this movie together in high school at some point? I'm sure we did. I feel like I was really hyped about this movie when I first saw it. I think I. I, think, I wanted to start a Fight Club. <laughs> Yeah, I bet you did. I did. I did. I was. I would get beat up every time. I feel like I remember like you, me, and some of the guys, and like a bunch of girls, like probably in Connor's basement watching this movie. Maybe not. But I don't know. I yeah, don't remember. You'll have to handhold me through this, man, because I remember wondering throughout the entire film. Okay, what the heck is going on? And then uh-huh. I remember the big twist. Yeah, he's not real. No. And Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's character, Brad Tyler Durden, is not real. Yes, he is not real. And yeah, dude, what a, what a crazy ending. Because again, I'm trying to think. And this ending reminds me, now that we, we're talking about it, it reminds me of, of another movie. I don't know if we're going to discuss. I don't know if this if it's your number one or if you ended up just leaving it off your list altogether. I probably left it off and meant to put it on whatever it is. Is it a, a, is your number one a Gyllenhaal movie? No. Oh, okay. So you, so you left Enemy off your list. Um. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. it reminded, it in that sense. I it, thought it'd be too complex. It's kind of. Not many people have seen it. Kind of very complex. Um, very underseen film, yeah. Yeah, very underseen. And I, we can talk about it. I love that film, the ending. The symbolism is just top-notch. Gyllenhaal, yeah. wonderful performance. But it's very similar, yeah. Yeah, well, I was going to say, it just hearing you talk about that, it just reminded me, like, it's. I feel like it's similar, at least in my interpretation of it, and I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole. But in Enemy, I interpret that film as the actor... Jake, right? So not the professor. Not the history teacher. Not the history teacher. Mm -hmm. The actor is almost like this part of his subconscious, which I think Denis Villeneuve has actually gone on record and said, like, this is a movie about his subconscious. And in a way, he's like killing that as the movie goes on. He's like killing that off. Yeah. And so I yeah I was just I, when we were talking about Fight Club it just kind of made me same made idea some same there, yeah. idea the narrator Ed Norton's character has a life that he doesn't like and so then he projects what he wants to be once he gets in a fight he gets in a fight with these two one night after the bar because he's depressed he's been drinking he gets in a fight and he's just like man that felt good to be hit kind of thing and he starts projecting this character Tyler Durden. As someone that he wants to be, somebody that he wishes he could be but can't. Same as an enemy, Gyllenhaal's character, the actor is actually the professor's subconscious. Mm-hmm. The actor is the one that's uh, cheating on his wife and uh, goes to the, the sex club and is kind of living that life. And so, yeah, very similar in that the main characters are projecting a part of themselves that they wish they could be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. That's such an interesting idea. And you can only really do that if you have an excellent cast. Yes. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal, one of the only actors probably that could really effectively pull that off. And then a tandem of Norton and Pitt to mm-hmm. you know pull off Fight Club. What's your real quick? What's your interpretation of the very ending of Enemy? The the ending of Enemy is an, so so real quick. Well, just real quick, set the scene because I feel like a lot of people have not seen it. So Enemy. So just a brief synopsis of Enemy. There's a history teacher and an actor, and the history teacher sees the actor in a movie, calls the actor, wants to meet with him. And it's actually him, but the whole story is about commitment and his issue with commitment. And this actor character is the man that cheated on his wife. The the history, it's the same person. They both cheated on their wives, but the history 
professor is the one that's trying to stay faithful and has been apart from his wife. And it's very complicated and it's hard to understand. But basically, the end of the movie wraps up like the actor, Jake Gyllenhaal, gets in a car wreck with his mistress. And that's kind of how it ends. And history professor Jake has kind of made things right with his with his wife. And they're having a baby. And Jake is really dealing with commitment issues because he feels like he's being held down. He's felt like he's being trapped. Tangled in a web. Tangled maybe? in a web. That's why you see, if you've ever seen the cover of the movie, there's a big spider. And spiders are th- uh, thrown throughout the movie as, as symbolism. And Jake views women as kind of spiders. Yeah. Female spiders eat their their mate a lot of the time. Well, some female spiders do. But that's kind of how he feels as he's being trapped. He's afraid of commitment. He's afraid to settle down in a sense. The very end of Enemy, history teacher Jake's kind of figuring this all out. And he gets a key to the sex club to go back to the sex club. And he sees it. He looks at it. And he had just had a romantic evening with his wife they had good conversation and you felt like things were great and he's looking at this key the next day and he's about to go to work and he says honey are you doing anything tonight and she she doesn't respond and he says he says her name i can't remember her name and he walks around the corner and there's a big big spider in the room like a huge spider and it recoils back into the into the corner yes yes and so basically the symbolism there is that Jake views these these his wife as a spider. And earlier at the sex club, I forgot to mention this, but you see a, a stripper, a prostitute, step on a spider, squash a spider. And so the, the wife, who is now this giant spider, through symbol, symbolism basically, symbolic reasons, is recoiling because she doesn't want him to squash her. And squashing her is basically going back to that same lifestyle, becoming that actor again. And it's interesting. We man, this movie is just Dude, it's so deep. It's so deep. It's awesome. And so the history teacher, you can see talking. He, he during some of his lectures earlier. So the movie is about a couple of things. Basically, problem with commitment, and then and then secondly, how history kind of repeats itself. How people tend to repeat themselves. And he uses uh, a couple quotes. Um, Basically, um, I can't remember who says this, but the first time something happens, it's like a tragedy, and the second time, it's a farce. And so that's kind of like the theme through throughout the movie. He's becoming this person again, and his wife can see it. Mm-hmm. And so she doesn't want to be squashed by him again. Right, so she, that's why she recoils. Because you're, at first, you're like, okay, why would this massive spider be afraid? Mm-hmm. And and that's why, because it's a callback to that that part earlier yeah. in the film it's it's an amazing movie it's what very a deep. deep movie it's so deep it's so hard to understand too you have to watch it multiple times but it the the movie literally ends if you haven't seen this movie you all should go see it the movie literally ends with jake gyllenhaal looking at this giant spider and that's just it it just cuts and you're sitting there and you're thinking like what yeah it's like, ama- it's insane it's so complicated it, and deep and his reaction to the spider is a weird one yeah. Like, the way he reacts to it, it's like he's kind of... He's not afraid. He's not afraid. He's just kind of accepted it. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's almost like he... I, I don't really understand what that's all about. Why he just kind of accepts it. I get all that other stuff. I don't really understand his reaction to it. I thought of it as his face was kind of an understanding of himself, maybe. Maybe huh. he saw her, the recoil or whatever, 
and he understood that he's going down the same path. Maybe it's a realization phase. I'm not sure either, but yeah. that's just kind of how I look at it because I'm more optimistic, but I just kind of hope that like he understood that he was going down that same road again. And that's mm-hmm. why his face is not, it's not really surprised, but it's not afraid either. It's just kind of almost like a pondering to himself almost. Right. What a fantastic ending. Well, we, we went ahead and threw in an extra one there for you. So you got yeah, bonus. Uh, you a little, little bonus ending. Yeah, it's just I, I, I couldn't help but think. I was really looking forward to discussing that ending with you. That's probably the reason why I pushed that. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. No, 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 you're good. I wanted that to be. I didn't think it would be you know conducive for the for the podcast. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But well, there there it was. What do you think? My listeners are idiots, man? No, they're intelligent. Because they're, <laughs> they're listening to the pod. Yeah, because they're listening to the pod. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and get into, we'll do my number one, and we'll cap this whole thing off with Jacob's number one. I feel like you probably already know what my favorite movie ending of all time is. Maybe, yeah, maybe. My favorite, know. my favorite movie ending of all time is The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, Shawshank is my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a movie that is all about hope. There are lengthy portions of Shawshank that lengthy portions of dialogue that deal with hope and how you know Red, played by brilliantly by Morgan Freeman. He thinks it's a bad thing. He th- or he thinks it can be a dangerous thing. And Andy Andy Dufresne is not so sure of that. Andy Dufresne. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Dufresne. <laughs> Crawled through. Yeah. I- Crawled forty yards or whatever many yards. <laughs> Two hundred yards to the It's like a weird mashup of Bane and Morgan Freeman I'm that you're doing yeah, right there. No, I'm sorry, I tried. <laughs> Morgan, and in your face, <laughs> crashing this plane. Right. Uh-huh. Nice. Um, so Sorry. it's my favorite. No, you're good. It's my favorite movie ending of all time. It's an ending that no matter how many times you see it, even though you know it's coming, you're riveted by it. You can't help but feel joy and hope, and you can't help but walk away from this film smiling. And it's a movie that you see this character endure so much throughout the course of this film. I mean, he endures being beaten. He endures being nearly raped. He endures being isolated from other people. He endures losing his wife, who they were having problems at the start of the movie. And because she was cheating on him and he was going to go and kill this person, but you're pretty sure throughout the majority of the movie that he's not responsible. And then you know for a fact that he's not responsible because of the testimony of this other inmate who shared uh, who shared his side of the story and all of that. And so, you know, he's not even supposed to be here. He's mm-hmm. too good of a guy for this. He changes the prison. He creates this library and all of these other incredible things that Andy Dufresne does. And finally, he gets something to go his way. He's a mastermind. He gets out of the prison. He breaks out. And Red goes and follows him after he gets out. And the narration, first from Andy Dufresne, when Morgan Freeman is sitting in the field by that brick wall, uh, remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Mm. I, just that whole thing is so good. And then the music comes in, and you get the get busy living or get busy dying. That's GD right. And all of the di- all, all of the narration that comes from Morgan Freeman immediately after that, and he talks about how for the first time in his life, even though he's violating his parole, he feels for the first time in his life like a free man. 
And this is something that this character has never experienced because he essentially grew up in prison. And so you get these extremely satisfying conclusions to Morgan Freeman's character. You get a, a completely satisfying conclusion to Andy Dufresne. And it is such a beautiful film. And that last shot, man, where he's walking across the beach and, and they've already made eye contact. They're walking uh, towards each other. And you get this long, this, this long shot um, about a hundred yards away or so. And it's just, it's continuously zooming out and you watch them walk towards each other and just embrace each other. And then the music comes up and the credits start rolling. And it's such a beautiful ending to this film. Again, you've seen this character, you've been rooting for this character to pull through all of these horrible things that he's had to go through, uh, throughout the last however many years it's been that he's been in Shawshank Prison and mm-hmm. some Shawshank, Shawshank Prison, and finally, it's like this is what this guy deserves. This is what he deserves. I think it's the most beautiful ending to any film, and it's kind of funny. This is actually the only happy ending on my on, your list. on my list. That says a lot about who <laughs> it you says are. Says a lot about me. <laughs> I'm just a, a very sick, twisted man. Um, no, it's just, it's such a great movie ending. And I think that the ending for this film is why Shawshank is my favorite movie. If this ending weren't as good, I Mm. think that, I think there are a couple times where Shawshank maybe drags just a little bit, but other than that, I mean, even if the ending weren't as good as it is, it would still be a great film. But this ending just completely, uh, takes it up a notch and it, it is, it's my favorite movie ending of all time. 100% 100% agreement with that. Great movie. And it's a long movie too. So by the time you get to that part, and you like you said before, Andy Dufresne has gone through all these different things. It seems impossible, um, some of the things that he's been through, but he gets it done. And that you're right, that last scene, dude, the catharsis that you get from that last scene is just overwhelmingly good. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're right, rooting for that character the whole time, and they come through. Yeah. He wins. Yeah, and it's great. It's it makes you it makes you feel good. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it is. It's I, one of those movies that you you watch the end and you're like, wow, that's awesome. That's you just a, you just feel good about it. Yeah, it's a great film, and it's a film that gets better and better every time I see it. You know, it, it's it's one of those that upon every, upon each viewing, I just like it more and more. So I think Shawshank will. I don't know. It, it probably won't be my favorite movie of all time forever. That tends to change once every few years, but uh, it, it's definitely going to be up there for me for a long time. It should. It's a great film. Yeah. So my number one is a horror movie. <laughs> all right. All right. I know. I'm pretty sure you've seen that. this film. Okay. Um, John Carpenter's The Thing. Are you serious? The Thing. All right. Okay. You've seen this film, right? I've seen The Thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, everyone should. It's one of the best horror movies of all time. Kurt Russell does an insanely good job love kurt russell um so just set this up for those that you haven't seen the thing and i'm talking about john carpenter's the thing the uh, back in the 80s i guess it was made not this not the newer remake with joel edgerton and i can't remember what the uh actress's name is but there's a creature that they find buried in the ice it's able to replicate what it looks like, and it basically starts killing off these people in this Antarctic base. They're in the Antarctic, right? Or are they in the Arctic? I can't mm-hmm. remember. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's cold. and <laughs> It's real cold there. So there's this big climatic moment. People have died. Kurt Russell basically throws a dynamite stick into this creature's face, blows up the base. Everything's on fire. People are dead. Kurt Russell's basically the only one left. And earlier to this moment, one of the other characters was watching the back door looking for the imitation of the thing, basically 
keeping it outside, making sure that they, because they thought it couldn't get back in, but it found a way. Spoiler. So he ran off outside because he thought he saw somebody. And in, in the movie, you do see that he sees someone, but you don't know who it is or what it is. And you that's it. You don't really hear anything from him. And after Kurt Russell is blown up the base, he's all exhausted. He's got a flamethrower on his back. He's just in really bad shape. Fire is rising. They're in the middle of nowhere in the Antarctic. And he sits down in one of the ruins of basically part of their base. And the character Childs um, comes back into view. And he walks up to him. And he says, I can't remember what he says exactly, but he says, are you the, are you the only one left? And it's just this really tense moment because you don't know if that's part of the thing or not because the thing is able to be several places at once. It doesn't have to stay in one entity, but it can. It, it's kind of like a um, an organism that can live in many different hosts, basically, and still live on. And so its objective is just to be buried in the ice somewhere. But Kurt, Kurt Russell's character sees Childs, and they kind of have this moment, and you're not sure... You're not sure either because Childs looks exactly like how he did before. There's no real definitive way to tell if he's the thing or not. And Kurt Russell just sits there and he's like, I think. Or he's like, or he says, I was, or something like that. And they sit there and Childs is like, well, what do we do now? And Kurt Russell's like, well, I don't think either of us are in shape to do anything about that. And then that that iconic Almost like a Law and Order, you know, the chung chung thing. Mm, yeah. It's like, dun, dun. you know, it's a real deep, low, ominous tone that right. plays. It's just like that two, two beat tone. And it is just so perfect. It is, it, it goes throughout the whole movie. But this moment when it hits right after that line, it's like, dun, dun, you know, and it's like, they're just sitting there in the snow and just kind of looking at each other, sharing a drink. And it's just so suspenseful. It's so good. So ambiguous because you don't know. Either way, they're probably both dead. But you don't know if Kurt Russell's character, who has been the big hero of the the movie so far, is sitting across from, you know, another human being or terror. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, because I love horror movies so much, and that's one of probably my one of my top horror <laughs> movies of all time. For me, that just that is that is exactly what I want to see in a horror movie. I, I do like wrapped up endings in horror movies, but that that suspense that's unlike anything. That you get in a lot of horror movies. So for me, that's my number one, my number one ending, most suspenseful ending of a horror movie, probably, and just a brilliant performance by Kurt Russell and the score. Whoever did that, I can't remember who who did that, but they're brilliant because well, that is that is insanely good. Well, and remind me, who it cuts right after that, right? It cuts yeah. after the thing. Yeah, that, mm -hmm. yeah, it cuts it. It cuts right after that. I think it's it cuts right after that line, but. Um, yeah, so the, the, you don't know. You never find out, and it's just the it just zooms out, right? And you see the burning complex in the in the background, and it just keeps playing that tone, and the credits roll, and it still plays that tone. What a haunting ending, dude! It's amazing. It's so it is that is perfect word to describe it. It's haunting. Yeah. yeah, and that's I feel like that's that's how you should feel after you get out of a horror movie. Like, sure, we want some horror movies where everything's wrapped up nicely and you you know the good wins. Like, like with the Conjuring films, mm -hmm. like Conjuring yeah. one and two, they end on such high notes, and I think that they're so well done. 
But it's also really nice having some of these other ones like The Shining. This came out in 1982, The Thing. John Carpenter's right. okay. The Thing mm-hmm. came out in 1982. And so it's just two years removed from The Shining. And we got genuinely some of the greatest horror films of all time came out in the 80s between that and uh, and The Thing. Mm. We've had so many good horror movies in the 80s. And uh, yeah, that's that is a great ending, man. And I, you know what, I I barely remember it because I haven't again, I haven't seen it in so long. I need to give that another watch though because mm-hmm. I remember watching it and being like, this doesn't feel like the kind of movie that was made in the '80s when I was in high school. Timeless. Yeah, when I well, when I was in high school, I was an idiot, and I thought if something didn't come out, you know, after 2000 or like 2005, well, it's not going to be very good then mm-hmm. because it's old. And the older I get, the the deeper appreciation I have for this. And I haven't seen this film in a long time. But this was always one of the one of the films that was an old that was an older film that I always felt like this feels so this feels new. Mm-hmm. This is so good, and nothing has been done like this since. I don't. Did you like the the that remake or prequel, whatever it was that they did a few years ago? I liked it. I did thought it like was. It? Yeah, I thought it was entertaining. I, it doesn't hold up as well as the the original John Carpenter's original, mm-hmm. but. And they do try at the end of the remake, they try to make a similar ending, kind of ambiguous. You don't know if Joel Edgerton's character is the thing or not, but you get the sense that he is more than you did in the original. But no, I thought it, I thought it was entertaining. I didn't have a problem with it. The, the basic concept is just creepy. It's just, it's hard to mess up when you have that good of a, as a story or, Mm -hmm. you know, a concept rather. It's hard to mess something up when you when you have that going for you, right? Yeah, yeah. He, dude, he is a he's a great horror film. John Carpenter just knows how to make a dang good horror film. Yeah. Between that and Halloween, I mean, the guy. Oh my goodness, two of the most iconic horror movies of all time. Great storyteller. Um, great storyteller. Phenomenal storyteller. Yeah, it's a it's a great one, man. We we should next time we sit down and watch a flick, we should catch that because I, I I really want to see it again. It's been way too long since I've since I've watched uh, since I watched the thing. Yeah. So very good, man. Well, dude, this has been a great conversation again. We left off so many things. I would have loved to have touched on. I think the ending to La La Land is one of the best endings of all time. Actually, yeah. I love mm-hmm. the ending not even because it's necessarily so great, but because it's just crazy. The mm-hmm. mist. Um, the Mist it, it oh, is, wow. is one of those. Uh, I see. I forgot about that. Yeah. See, these are movies, and I had thought about La La Land as well, but it was pretty sad. Yeah. It, so. Yeah. It is very sad. But yeah, I between that, Rocky is another great ending. Mm-hmm. Um, on and on, man. We left off so many, so many movies off of this list, and uh, I don't know what to tell you. These are just our personal uh, favorite. Uh, film. So if you uh, if you have any thoughts on the matter, please uh, shoot a tweet at us. You can uh, tweet at the podcast uh, at Barabbas Podcast. That is the Twitter handle. That is where I tweet all things movie related. You can also tweet at Jacob at jmeeks11. jmeeks11. Is that spelled out 11 or is that just no, it's just 11. Actually, I think my Twitter handle is Jacob T Meeks. Jacob T Meeks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my, my Instagram is Jacob Meeks Eleven though. Okay. There you go. <laughs> give give him a follow. Give him a tweet. Whatever you want to do, hit him up. And uh, if you enjoy the podcast, like I always say, if you would go to iTunes and drop a rating and a review, that is the very best way that you can help this show. And is there anything you want to plug, man? Any uh, outside of Twitter or Instagram or anything like that? No, that's it. I just say I appreciate you having me on, man. I enjoy your work, buddy. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it again soon. I feel like there's there's so many good conversations to have, man. And and this is one of those ones that is so difficult 
Um, but uh, there, there are some other... I, I need to do a, um, a Star Wars review episode. Like, not just Last Jedi, just like this, oh. the Star Wars saga. Right. Uh, I need to I need to record a review for, so... Um, anyway, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, be sure to check out Chasing Dreams. You are currently listening to his song, Magic Sky. He's kind enough to let me use it for the intro and outro music for this podcast. And again, be sure to head over to iTunes and follow the Twitter account at Barabbas Podcast. And until next time, peace. Peace.